Hello and welcome to part two of this conversation with writer and journalist Clover Stroud. As we discuss her third memoir, The Red of My Blood, it's a brutal, bold and brilliant artistic piece of life writing about family, survival, death and grief. I really felt like I lived this book as I read it and it really goes deep. Clover invites the reader into the experience and you really do go alongside it with her. So I hope you enjoy this episode and that you go and grab a copy of The Red of My Blood, which is just incredible. And just a reminder that if you're jumping in now without listening to part one, you might want to go back and listen to part one of this interview first. So here is the conversation with Clover Stroud. I know that I am having to work at all the time to remind myself as well that when the dark days come, just keep going, you know, just keep going, just keep going. You're like a kind of a ball rolling forward and then it will, that, that something will change again. It's mad how much we change, isn't it? Like mm. I, I say this phrase like, oh, I feel like a different person today all the time. Mm. And I heard someone say it the other day and I was like, isn't that sort of what we all are? Mm. We're so ever changing. And it's the whole like you never step in the same river twice thing of just mm. nothing is ever just staying put mm. and obviously we have seen that through the pandemic as well that things can change on a random Tuesday afternoon out of the blue and and actually I don't I don't want to be scared of that yeah yeah because it is scary isn't it it is yeah, scary it is. when you, and also when you think you've got things sort of things are okay and then there's some sudden big change there's some big tumultuous or some big disappointment or or just a kind of flattening as well a flattening of a good experience um and it's tiring as a human being mm. as you say everything changes and even if you want to keep things you know you want to keep things stable you want to keep things as they, as they are you know that they're going to change but it's a really important lesson i suppose to remember that when you're in the dark bit that will change just as when you're in the yes, good bit. Yes. You know, when you're in the like happy fields of sunshine, you're gonna to have to go into the into the shadows again at some point. But when you're in shadows, it will you'll come out again. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um another bit I found really helpful in practical terms in your book, because it is so raw, like you say, and you wrote it in the in the real intensity of, of grief, mm. is and and you said you you know that you, you feel like it felt like your skin was almost removed and people sort of said the wrong things at times mm. and I felt like you know I read plan b years ago Cheryl Sandberg's book when she lost mm. her husband and she said people used to cross the street and she said you not saying anything is worse than saying the wrong thing mm. so just say the wrong thing say the wrong thing yeah but mm. I also was like cringing when I was reading the book in places where people really did say the wrong thing yeah I mean I think that there are <sighs> I used to talk to Nell about this because we lost our mum well she had you know we've we've talked about this you and I before but because it's what my first book is about mum had this terrible accident when I was 16 and I was 18 and she was left brain damaged and and she was in that state for 22 years and couldn't look after herself so it was really major major sort of family life devastation and <clears throat> now and I used to sometimes say you know people would come up to you and say oh I just couldn't I don't know how you're coping. I just couldn't cope without my mom. I'm so close to my mom. And, you know, the thought that I didn't have my mom is just so difficult. And I guess people are trying to be sympathetic. But it just, when you've been through some major tragedy or some major loss, you do feel separate from everybody else. You do feel like, you know, the kind of, me and Nell said that we often just felt like the weird ones walking around in life because this 
really weird thing had happened of like losing our mum, but she was still alive. And I did find it as well after Nell died, people saying, oh, I'm just, I'm so, you know, I can't, I can't bear to think about not having my sister. That's just such an awful thought. And there, I I do think that it is important. Yeah, say, say something rather than say nothing. I think pushing the, pushing the bereaved or the traumatised person into a place of being on their own. But like saying, you know, your loss is unimaginable or I couldn't live without my sister, then it's kind of, really underlining how great the loss is and and it's and it's really underlining this sort of solitary place that you find yourself in that line of i can't begin to imagine what you're going through then when you're the bereaved person thinking that you think my life is unimaginably awful to ever to you know to the speaker at the moment mm. and i think that um there are things that we can say which is you know, I'm thinking about you or I'm thinking about you with love and light or what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do? And also um, just talking about the person. I think, you know, I think particularly if you meet somebody who has lost somebody and you didn't, you don't know the person who died, I think it's really, really nice to say, you know, what was your, say it was somebody's dad, what was your dad like? What was his name? What what kind of things did you enjoy doing together? Because particularly as time passes, I think that when we've lost people, we always enjoy talking about them and remembering them. I suppose that's why I like Instagram, because I can talk about Nell and make jokes about her and kind of other people can talk about her as well. And it's nice to, what you don't want is the person's name to be sort of forgotten or silenced in some way I suppose yes yeah that makes so much sense and um and it really makes sense what you're saying about why that why saying that I can't imagine or I can't really you know I can't imagine if that happened to me a it's sort of making it about you which mm. is very strange but also there's separation there mm, of like yeah. oh you're going through that but I'm, I'm okay. not yeah and actually really it should be a moment of connection mm. And kind of getting down in it with someone that you mm, love rather mm, than mm. so yeah, I found that really useful because right, I, I know I don't think any I don't think people get it right all the time. Yeah, I mean and different people want different things as well. There are you know, there are the friends who want to who want to talk about the person that they've lost, or somebody might just want to go and go for a nice walk together, you know, or somebody else wants the the meal cooked for them or you know there is no kind of prescriptive this is absolutely the right thing to do but I think that trying to connect with somebody even if you know even if you had a rebuttal and someone said I don't want to talk about it then that's you know you can you can handle that as well but much much nicer to be the friend who has reached out who and, and who has said I'm completely I'm here for you and I'm I'm you know I'm kind of a friend said to me it's like I feel like I'm just sitting outside your room I'm I'm waiting for you for you know when you're ready to talk about this and come through you know when you when I'm here for you whenever you want as human beings we don't want to feel alone do we no and we don't need unsolicited advice Mm. a lot of the time Mm. I feel like that's sort Mm. of the opposite of what's needed Mm. and I know there's really well-meaning people that you mention in the book who are like why don't you do this Mm. and why don't you do that and Mm. maybe you could cook this and Mm. it's like not necessarily what what I need right now, and I and I just think that that's a really amazing thing you've done in the book. It's really really good to hear that. When people said to me like, 
your loss is on. I can't begin to imagine what you're going through. And a lot of people do say that so that you once you start sort of being aware of it, and it's often written in letters as well. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was to try and describe that unimaginable loss, you know, to say Mm -hmm. that, well, this is what it feels like. (laughs) This is this is what that loss feels like. And this is how weird that it is. And this is how massive the feelings are. And so if you've got a friend who's who is going through it, then this is the kind of torrent that's going on inside them. Um, And so hopefully it will connect people in some way too. It was kind of the book that I wanted to read after Nell died when I was when I was looking for the stuff to, you know, apart from that very old poetry that I was reading, was wanting to read something contemporary about what the hell it was that was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I kind of wrote the book that I wanted to read in some way or another. Yeah. And I know people have described it as almost almost like it has a beating heart to it. It's a very alive book. It's mm. a very you read it and and the pages are like literally breathing and alive and i know that you write in the book that something it feels very common with grief is like this panic that you're going to forget stuff mm. i've definitely had that with people i've lost where you're just like oh god i need i need you to stay like sharp in mm. my memory mm. do you feel like writing and creativity can do that oh definitely i mean uh, talk about trying to find a a place to be of comfort and I do feel that in the writing of the book I have accessed or gone into or developed a part of my creativity that I didn't really know was there before I suppose that I've taken my writing to a new place and it makes me realize that yeah when we're just thinking about someone in normal life you can feel really panicked and with your sibling as well. Like Nell was my sister. I was really worried. I wrote about this, really worried that if I forgot the stuff of our childhood, then who would remember it? Because if I forgot it and she was dead, it would, does that mean it wouldn't exist anymore? And um, this is why writing, you know, this is, doesn't matter whether you're writing a book or writing a journal or writing poetry, you know, in a completely private way, but that thing of it allowing to, allowing you, enabling you, encouraging you to go further into your your psyche, into your memories, into your into the kind of the life that you've led, I suppose. And this is my third memoir I've written, and I'm actually just embarking on my fourth. Although I kind of prefer to call them life writing rather than memoirs, which always sound a bit kind of lofty and grand and they're not grand they're like about just the stuff of life you know they're about the most fundamental things that you me everyone in the studio will go through um but the thing about doing life writing is i really think that the more you do it the more you can remember you get fitter you know you're going to the the more you turn up at the page it's like going to the gym, which I don't do. But if I did go to the gym, I'd get better and better at it. And I think that I can remember more and more and I can remember in a more vivid and um, rewarding way for me creatively. And and also the memory starts living with me. And I guess this is creativity at work, which I just love the feeling of because it's, it's like having a kind of incredible drip or something attached to you the whole time is this feeling of... Creativity, once you access it, once you, for me, it was actually starting to think of myself as a creative person. I didn't think, to be honest with you, Nell was the creative one. She was like an outrageous creative 
spirit. And she was always painting and drawing, writing books. She had her circus, embroidery, cookbooks. <clears throat> she was a huge. And, and I think that as I go into this next bit of my life, I feel as though my creativity is, is kind of, is growing. And it's like a, it's like a, a ball of colour that exists with me and and is kind of moving around with me. And if I'm careful with it and if I nurture it and feed it and read some good stuff and don't spend too long on social media, although I do spend an awful lot of time there, if I, if I kind of look after myself a bit as well, then that creativity will reward me in some way or another and it will get bigger. That's what I feel at the moment. I mean, it maybe it will change, you know, as I, I don't know, maybe in the next decade it will change. Maybe it will turn into something else. Maybe it will be switched off. But I love the feeling of it right now because it is a place of, um, it's a place of retreat, which isn't silent. You know, I don't really want to go in. Sometimes I want to go into the silence, but um, I want to, I want to be making things. I want to be making some kind of impact, even if that impact is just for myself, you know, not for other people. Um, and it's a deeply uh, rewarding and and nurturing and cosy place to be in as well. Yeah. And um, we can find that creativity in many different, you know, I, I many different, it doesn't have to be writing. It might be embroidery. It might be your cooking. It might be singing with a beautiful choir. But I think we all, many of us, if we if we want it, I guess. I mean, if you don't want it, but if you want it, you can access it. And the more that you, the more you nurture it, the more it will reward as well. It's so true. It sounds like you're just so unblocked and. You're tapping into stuff at the moment. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I do. I do feel a kind of clarity. I mean, I I don't know. I'm sitting down to write my new book at the moment, so we'll have to see whether <clears throat> the next one comes out in the same way. And it is always nerve wracking because you and don't each know. One is, and is each different. one's different, exactly. Yeah. And that's an incredible thing. I mean, that's one of the incredible things about writing books is the feeling of them being them being so different. And you don't know what's like, there isn't a formula for me. There isn't like a way that I do this and it, and it will just work. And so in a way it's kind of quite risky, a bit like being on the edge of a precipice. You must feel this like, Whoa, what's going to come mm. out next? Yeah. But it's quite fun. Cause it's yeah. like, it will, it will at some point come mm. out, but that is incredible. And I, I actually wrote down this quote the other day that I read, which was Edith Eger. The opposite of depression is expression. So I suppose my question is as well, because you are sat before me with five children mm. and um, a, a, a you know a, li a life, and 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 you share some of the chaos of that with us, which mm. I love. But you also a very creative person. How do you carve out the time to get out of you? I know that you wake up really early and things like that, but I think that might be helpful for people to um, mm. hear about. My life is busy. I'm sure your. I know your life is really, really busy as well. And I guess not as busy as yours. I don't have five children. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be honest about that. <laughs> well, I think I thrive in a in a atmosphere of. Uh, I wouldn't say chaos because sometimes I berate myself for being a chaotic person. And oh, I, I think, love the word chaos. I feel like it's such a good it's word a good for word. me. But I, I, I know what you, you can, mean. When you see it in your head, you can sometimes see it as just like loads of bits of paper flying everywhere and mess everywhere. My you know. office is 
a chaotic <laughs> mess. And I actually was going to change my bio to a chaotic writer. Life is chaos and the world is chaos. Mm. Yeah. And when I'm in a place of neatness, I always, and I wrote about this in the last book, actually, like, why do I have five children? Because lots of various different reasons. But one of them is because I am, I'm resisting and I've done this really effectively. I'm resisting neatness. You know, I don't want neatness. I want it to be, I want it to be messy and unwieldy. And it's, I find that really, really hard as well. Like I'm not a kind of, I don't know if this is just a stupid phrase, earth mother. I'm not a kind of earth mother. I'm not, I find mothering really, really, really difficult. And it really, really tests me. And I find the chaos I'm at home in it, but I also don't, you know, at times I really hate it as well. It really does my head in. Um, but I did start having, I had my youngest child when I was 20, my eldest child, sorry, Jimmy, when I was 24. So I've always written and I started writing at that stage. I mean, I read English at university, but I didn't necessarily think I was going to be a writer. And I wasn't like a child who was obsessively keeping diaries and writing stories and things like that. But I started as a journalist in my mid 20s. And had two kids quite quickly and then got divorced. And so I was like having to, and I was really, really, I didn't have any money at all. I was having to find little bits of time and cobble bits of, um, you know, I was working in a bookshop, teaching English as a foreign language, doing bits of journalism, doing babysitting whilst taking my baby's babysitting. I mean, it was, when I look back on it, it was really chaotic, but um, it worked in some way or another. And I think that, um, and then I met Pete, who I'm married to now, and I had another three children. So I, I do like that feeling of intense busyness. And recently we just got, we've, I've got lots of animals. We've, you know, we've got, and I put them on my Instagram, like we've got Shetland ponies and cats who keep having loads of kittens and the other day I got a puppy that was started chewing everything up and running off I thought why have I got a puppy right now um, because I I like I must like it you know I'm doing yeah. the things that I like and I I guess I mean all the kids are at school now so I can write when they're at school but I do also like the thing of getting up early in the morning I don't like working in the evening I feel I used to when I was younger I wrote in my 20s in the evening but I feel really tired by the end of the evening and I don't have a huge amount to give but um I can also write far you know maybe I'm used to being under pressure I can write quite fast I wrote this the last book um The Red of My Blood during lockdown when all the kids are at home in a kind of vortex of that weird you know that weird time between 2020 and 2021 when life was very odd for everybody basically um and I also think what happened to my mom I was in I was in my mid-teens I was 16 when that happened that threw my life into a high degree of chaos and uncertainty and trauma and I think that to a certain degree that is the kind of place where I feel at home in some way or another it's familiar and um the kind of many many different things going on sometimes a feeling of slightly firefighting is actually a place where I I am I am really functioning really really well too, and I am um, kind of I'm 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 moving. I like the feeling of I like the feeling of of a lot to manage, I suppose. Yeah. And I think you've talked about this, and I think it's really really good for anybody who is listening to this and thinking about writing and how to write. And you said I think you wrote something about how somebody said, "Oh, if I just had a spare six months, and I'd write a novel." And mm -hmm. a, no a novel 
or a book usually isn't written. I mean, who on earth has a spare six months? Anyway, yeah. it's written in those 20 minutes. You know, I wrote the lot of the red of my blood in 35 minute segments before the kids got up in the morning. Um, little tiny bits of time uh, that you just find in between all the other stuff that yeah. needs doing. And I've, you know, I, I carry on doing journalism as well because I, I love it and I need to do it too. And um, so I don't have like long days where I'm just book writing. Um, there are some of those, but there are many other things that go on. So it's like a kind of puzzle of activity, chaos, creativity. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that. And I think that what stops people from writing is waiting for the perfect conditions mm. or lighting the candle mm. and finding the spare six hours or whatever. And Oliver Berkman wrote, writes all about this mm. in his book. And he was like the productivity guru for The Guardian and then realised that productivity hacks were a scam. And actually, life is unpredictable and 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 busy and, uh, and there's ups and downs of the day. And actually... It's about finding the pockets of time, mm. and um, and don't beat yourself up for the chaos. Because, as in everyone, because he says as well, like if you sit down and you get twenty minutes done, mm. the rest of the day can be crazy if mm. it needs to be. Mm. You've done what mm. you need to do that day. Um, kind of give yourself a pat on the back. Definitely, and you don't have to write a thousand words, you know, at all. I mean, it'd be lovely to write a thousand words, but sometimes I just write a few hundred words or even just a sentence and think about it as well. Because I think the thinking time is really, really important. Yeah. And like, once you're thinking about your work, I mean, I know this is in relation to writing, but if you're thinking about your work, that thought process travels with you when you go out and you've got to go and, you know, do your day-to-day Due you know whatever your chores and the thought process doesn't won't stop just because you're away from the page and if you if you've got something down if you've got something even even just a little bit and if you can keep on that that habit of doing a little bit regularly um I mean I for the last couple of weeks I've been doing a lot around the new book and I have not I have not been doing any writing and I can feel like a need for, I feel like I need it like a glass of water I really really need to be um you know to be working it yeah. and and that yeah accessing that creativity is such a a comforting place to go to yeah I feel like that when I don't write for mm. a bit I'm like what's missing I feel weird you feel I'm weird like, oh yeah. you haven't written anything for a mm. while um it's like breathing it's mm. like get it you know need need to do it mm. um but that that is fascinating and really inspiring, genuinely um, for people to hear that you you know it, it's not like you say about having these like long long stretches of time. And I do feel like we still need to unpick that myth. No, definitely, it surprises me that that that. But and people sometimes say, "Well, how do you write? Do you have to wait for inspiration?" I mean, find chance that I would wait for inspiration. <laughs> if I was waiting, then nothing would ever happen at all. Because also, our brains are always filling in the gaps anyway because I know we haven't really touched on it much in here but the book is really beautiful when you talk about dreams dreams are a huge part of like mm. creating mm. and working things out finding solutions and feeling emotion mm. do you ever find that you wake up in the morning and it's like oh wow something got... was happening yeah yeah no something was happening I've been in another place and and that kind of discombobulation and also sometimes excitement and sometimes dislocation you know the different places it takes you to I guess I'm really interested by how we get into those other places as well, just in normal life, how we can kind of 
find them, whether it is creativity or whether it is like extreme experiences, like the experience of being giving birth or standing with death, you know, the loss of somebody you really love, sex and desire, um, that kind of other other state is a fascinating place to be. And I suppose dreams are a a, a kind of place you could potentially find that, you know, on a really mm-hmm. regular basis without without anything awful or difficult or life changing ha- happening in your, you know, to you at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was reading something the other day about vertical time and horizontal time. So mm. like horizontal time is like my calendar. Mm. Vertical time is like the moment you're in now. And it can just be. Mm. Anyway, Google that if you're interested, people, mm. because I'm very, very much getting into like time is sort of what you make of it as well. And yeah, and opening up that space. Yeah. Like, and that, I think that does tie into creativity, actually, because when I'm writing, time doesn't really exist. Yeah. But that's an annoying thing to say because I've got a lot of time at the moment. <laughs> no, but it's really, it's really, it is an other, it is the other state, isn't it? When you're, when you're in it. And even when it's going badly in a way. I mean, I hate the feeling of sitting there and it not, the work not coming out. And I think it's really important as well to like, just write, just start writing. The bit, the first bit of what you write might be rubbish. Three quarters of it might not really work, but there might be something in there that mm-hmm. is valuable. And and I know I have to make myself do that. You know, yeah. I, I have to. And sometimes I look back and I think, oh, yeah, that's the bit where you didn't, you really didn't like what you were writing. To. Oh, but look, that bit works. You know, there's a sentence there. Let's go with that a bit more. And then you go back to the page as well, having made some, you know, a small, a bit of progress as well. That movement forward is really important. I always do that, that hack of like, put 10 minutes on the clock mm. and just do 10 minutes. But then it's never 10 minutes because you will do more. Something more comes. And I do it with running as well. I'm like, just go for a 10 minute run and then I'll do a half an hour run. But you sort of have to trick yourself yeah. into like just a tiny little do bit. Do you write every, do you pretty much write every day? Uh, no, I'll I'll go through weeks of, of being distracted with other things, but I'm trying to really make it a priority and I'm trying to do that thing where I do turn it into a morning thing mm. um, because what I find is if I don't write, I start resenting other people yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, you're getting in the way oh, and I yeah. can't imagine what that's like with like actual children who probably could take over some of that time. So... I have no excuse. I need mm. to we- wake up, do my thing, and then everyone else can have a piece of me. Mm. Yeah, because it's sort of, <laughs> but it's a bit like when you've had sex. Basically, it always makes the day better, doesn't it? It kind of blesses the day in some way or yeah. another. That feeling of, oh yeah, that's that's like that's that's okay. Then I can deal with the rest of the day in a much much more positive way. I, I think creativity is maybe it's a sort of like ecstatic state then as well that you go into I've never really thought of it like that but it could be that I know that when when the writing is really really flowing when it's really really working you do feel a kind of a quiet ecstasy don't you you feel a kind of complete and utter rightness of everything yeah 
Um, well, it's a break from being you for a bit as well, mm, isn't it? Which I, mm, which I really like. Mm. Anyway, I feel like we need to do a part two just about creativity yes, tips. Yes. And um, maybe we can do it around when the next book's coming out, which mm. is very exciting that you mentioned that. And um, thanks again for, for coming on. And I, I knew this conversation would be really amazing um, for all the reasons we discussed. But um, everyone listening, go and get a copy of the book and um, carve out some time for yourself to read it. So it's really special. Well, it's been really, really lovely talking to you, Emma. And I could, no, I could completely, completely go on. And I'm well up for talking about creativity anytime. So let's do it again. Definitely. Thank you. <laughs>